Welcome back to Loose Change. I'm your co-host Niaz and this week I've got an amazing episode, an amazing conversation that I had to share with you with an old friend of mine, Dr. Jordan Faulkner, who's a former doctor in the NHS who actually recently left to start his own business, Allo Aesthetic, uh, which is an aesthetic medicine business. And we had an amazing conversation as to exactly what that experience has been like, studying for so long, training to become a doctor, um, serving in the NHS and then deciding actually to take um, your career and destiny into your own hands and start your own business. It was such a refreshing and insightful conversation and what I didn't expect was actually to dive a bit more into what it was like working in the NHS over the last few years. Um, it was a real human conversation and I think sometimes with all the media headlines um, we forget that the healthcare professionals working very much on the front lines of what's been a crisis, a non-stop crisis for the NHS over the last few years um, can take its toll on people and it does take its toll on people uh, and it took its toll on Jordan and I wasn't expecting to really dive into this part of the conversation with him um, but it was a real vulnerable conversation as well. It wasn't all serious, we also spoke about um, some things with light-hearted humour but it was just a, a brilliant conversation and I'm really excited to share this episode with you. I hope you enjoy this one. This is episode 10 of Loose Change with Dr. Jordan Faulkner. Enjoy. So welcome back to season two of the Loose Change podcast. I'm your co-host Niaz and today we're lucky to be joined by Dr. Jordan Faulkner, a doctor in the NHS who was pursuing a career in surgery until new ideas and opportunities presented themselves during the pandemic. Jordan trained in aesthetic medicine and launched his own business, Allo Aesthetic, while still working in the NHS. I've got loads of questions and mostly I'm really excited to be joined by Jordan. Thanks for joining us, Jordan. I'm buzzing to be nervous. Nah, you don't need to be nervous, man. <laughs> Made for camera. I see you on camera all the time. There's, there's one of the things I've had to learn to do a lot more recently, using more social media in business yeah. compared to like NHS life. It's mad. And the first time someone puts a camera in your face, I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> Straddling two worlds as well. It's weird, isn't it? it? Did you always know that you wanted to be a doctor? It's not an... It's not an easy route to. It's not an easy route to go after. No, not at all. Um, I think unless mummy or daddy are a doctor, then you don't really decide that until sort of you're kind of put on that path. Yeah. Um, I was a smart kid, like a weirdly smart kid. I was never like a massive geek. Actually. Yeah. I was always like one of the boys, but yeah. just like really academically smart in maths and science. Yeah. And then this guy from Sheffield University came in in like year nine and like talked about his outreach scheme for yeah. uh, rubbish schools, basically, uh, that were in, like, economically more deprived areas around. Was that one of the schools? That yeah, so I was at Rotherham, in Rotherham, Brins of School, it's just a state school. Um, not much more to say about that. There were certain, like, sort of things about, like, under a certain parental combined income um, in a set number of schools that they picked that were typically not producing doctors, lawyers, yeah. things like that. Um, and they came into our science class and I was like, yeah, maybe, why not? I was like, the only things I was ever really like going to do that would really sort of be a passion and a career for me were like a DJ or footballer. <laughs> I was shit at football and musically inept. Just completely unrealistic. Like, yeah, so then you decide to become a doctor. So I just take take this like opportunity on board and it was just started off just like once a term and then it got a little bit more as you moved into college. And then... Around that time, I started being a carer for my great uncle as well. So sort of the the whole smart kid caring nature narrative started to sort of write itself in yeah. teenage years. And that path kind of just 
became more prominent in in my life and it just went from there um and then obviously got offers from sheffield university which that's where i was doing the outreach but yeah i wanted to move a bit further away from home to sort of learn more about yourself without wanting to be too cliche yeah um so i moved i ended up going to nottingham obviously um and then that's where things took off that's where we met yeah it was, it was an adjustment so you we met in week one literally didn't yeah yeah uh, literally and ended up uh, yeah it was mad uh but yeah that was a sort of path into medicine there's i don't think anyone really at that age unless they've been exposed to it in terms of parents really quite know what they're getting into yeah to be honest yeah um it's certainly not what i thought at that point in time yeah completely different ball game to be honest but yeah that was that was the path so i think choosing to do medicine the way you did um that's quite an interesting story because it's one of the most competitive um i guess academic pursuits that anyone can make um there's loads of people that want to become doctors might not necessarily have um the academic qualifications to do so um my sister's actually a medic at the moment yeah yeah she's the brains of our family so <laughs> and i went into law because it was i couldn't get into medicine so i wasn't very sciencey so uh, everything i'm bad at um so that's it's it's really interesting to see that it paved its way for you in that in, mm. in, in that in that way as well and you didn't have any doctors in the family or anything no nah, none my sister ended up being into nursing as well actually which she's a little bit younger than me yeah but yeah it kind of it was a little bit of a without wanting to put too much emphasis on this but living up north yeah you only know about vocational jobs yeah. you yeah. don't know about business yeah you don't because it doesn't exist yeah all the businesses down south is all in london right yeah yeah so the, the sort of most respected people even the most wealthy people actually which the mm. irony now that literally all my colleagues are going on strike yeah uh, like next week or whatever yeah overpay when i went into medicine coming from a very working class background yeah the doctor was like the richest person yeah yeah um which I did, so, certainly didn't go into it for the money but they were in a sort of a position of yeah power respect yeah yeah yes yeah and y you did kind of just look up it's, it's so all of those things played a part of course um but yeah it, it, it was it was wasn't something that i knew from home to go into it's really coveted right like so being a doctor it had this it has this like prestige it, it had is. it's a weird thing it's one of the hardest things to actually adjust to yeah actually you find yourself in that field because it kind of or that's actually quite isolating yeah in a weird way our holidays were different our exams were at different times there's times when all my mates were going out and celebrating, sitting their final exams, and I've got to be in a lab at eight o'clock next morning. Yeah, and and then the narrative of that more recently with COVID and stuff has been perpetuated even more. I think mm. so. It's like it's it feels like us and them mm. just because of the whole everyone else is at home during the pandemic. You're on the front lines. People were clapping us, mate. On that, it's how weird is that? Imagine you've just gone and doing your job, and then you walk out and people are on the doorstep, and you're around before. Yeah. Yeah, because totally, yeah. and that's definitely got worse recently. It's difficult, yeah, because you are just a normal. Yeah, 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 cool. <laughs> yeah, but you're in this weird position in society of a level of expectation, and it dominates conversations as well. We actually can't be asked for that. Yeah, you just want to talk about normal stuff. Yeah, and then like you're at, you're at a family party and your uncle's showing you like a boil on his ass, and it's like, oh, <laughs> leave me alone. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> 
We're not just talking about football or something. Like the small talk that everyone else gets is yeah. your nominal rash that you don't want to go and chat to the gym. Yeah, I won't ask you about the boil on my ass though. <laughs> but no, no, it's true. There is always a mystique when it comes to doctors. Um, it's interesting what you're saying about like being from the north and those vocational jobs as well. I think um, so. People from like diverse backgrounds as well. Um, ethnic minorities as well, you, you would have noticed that they often push their kids towards um, medicine law, or law um, because it's secure, safe, and like you kind of always like have this idea that they'll be okay. Things are changing a little bit at the moment, which is sad because doctors, we always looked at doctors as like, they're rich, they've made it, they're like comfortable in society, and things have changed so much in the last 10 years even, where we're not, I don't, my personal opinion is we're probably not even treating doctors fairly, nurses certainly not. Um, and it's, yes, because becoming, yeah, becoming difficult for them as well. It's interesting. One of the most paradoxical things that I've sort of noticed recently that's changed massively is the attitude that people have when they come into the hospital. Mm. So five years ago when I first started off as a doctor, right? People came in to hospital with the expectation that they were gonna walk out fixed mm. now people come with a preconception that they're going to be walking into a broken nhs they're going to wait for seven hours for a &E. and a lot of these things aren't completely untrue yeah and you will wait a lot longer than you used to just because of the backlogs yeah and, that and understaffing blah 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 all that stuff that you hear about a lot in the media at the minute yeah but the people come in and they've already manifested a negative experience mm. and you find a, there's a lot more friction from patients and patient family members and you feel that they come in with like an grievance that they premeditated yeah so people used to come in with an automated respect and they used to look at you almost with puppy dog eyes like you're gonna help, help me yeah. my family member get better yeah and now they're like you can't cope is there automatic yeah it's really sad actually assumption, which, yeah. so therefore the whole atmosphere yeah from second one that you enter hospital is, is different just based on people's attitude from walking through the front doors that's crazy that you say that because I, I feel like i've experienced that on the other side whereas i used to be like wow doctors they've got the answers they're going to fix everything and then through experiences in my own life i've kind of shifted to being like humanizing doctors as well and sometimes thinking maybe they don't actually have the answers um yeah is it, it, and have you seen that in the time that you've been a doctor the change or do you think you came into it after post i think i saw 18 months of the nhs at its best really wow so i i, I walked so my, like my sister finished her nursing degree two years after me okay she's always had loads of issues with the way that it works the politics of it yeah and um, the way that you're treated the, the the support that you've got i saw it at its best yeah or i can't say that because i wouldn't pay a bit. yeah that time i can't yeah. really make that call but it was class yeah like i remember like first year as a doctor on a night shift and in a little general district hospital in south shield which is a tiny town near newcastle right mm. if you're on for medicine or if you're on for surgery you're apart from the med reg who's the one that you ring if you don't know what you're doing as an f1 yeah you are the care for everyone in the wards mm. that's mad power and responsibility yeah and you walk down that corridor and you feel you felt so accomplished. Like yeah. Every single person respected you, right? Yeah. Um, they were within your care. They felt like... Yeah. You've literally just come out of med school and 
the whole imposter syndrome and stuff like yeah. that. Yeah. But you still see that people are hanging off every single word. Yeah. People like argue with you now and like yeah. telling you what they want in their care. Oh, it's, um, yeah, it's mental that you're saying all this because I can really relate to some of those experiences. Sorry to jump in there because as you're describing it, I can see it. So my experience of the NHS, I actually, when I was um, uh, born, um, I my mum had jaundice when she was pregnant with me and I was born with certain conditions which meant that I needed to have surgery when I was quite young. And I remember that whole experience. We I was in Royal London Hospital, so, and it was way smaller back then. And we had such, even though it was like scary for my mum at the time, she was like first child, like she didn't know obviously like what was happening. Her baby's like needing surgery, but the whole experience. And I remember Dr. Patterson, he was like my doctor at the time from like 20 years ago. And uh, we had uh, over 20 years ago, 25 maybe years ago, such a good experience. I, I've got vivid memories of like being at the hospital. There was like playgrounds outside that we used to like go into. And the whole experience and like the follow-up for years was just really pleasant. So I, I grew up thinking, wow, like the NHS is one of the best things about this country because I've got family in, in America and it wasn't the same. Like the whole like um, the whole flipping break, Breaking Bad storyline, it, it wouldn't run here because we get it all for free, right? But in the last four years, I witnessed a completely different experience. Um, I remember we went into uh, during the pandemic. I went, I took my mum to hospital because she was unwell. And uh, I was like, listen, my mum's like high risk. Um, she was a cancer patient at the time. Can we go into a separate room? Because I don't want her to be on a COVID ward. And pretty simple request. Yeah, yeah. Like, and, and they were like, yeah, of course. Like, the, 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 apparently they'd made all the calls beforehand. The guy that promised us the room, he had, he, we got, I had to like force my way into this room because I was so scared about my mum. And he, we were sat there waiting to be seen. He had finished his shift. We were in that room. He'd gone home, slept, showered, come back the next day. We were still in that room awake, by the way. And he came into the room like, have you not been seen to yet? It's mental, like that kind of experience. I was just there like, that really like, that was my first like understanding of like how stretched everything was. And uh, I can only imagine what it's like, because it's no one's fault. But I can only imagine what it's like having to work in that kind of environment if you've, if you've seen any of it. It's no one's fault. I think, especially at night time, when yeah. skillet and stuff go home and it's on-call doctors. So for example, now I'm still working as an SHO in orthopedics. I'm going there tonight, mm. eight until eight. I will be the orthopedic department. Wow. That's me, I, right? So anyone that comes to A&E with a broken bone that needs admitting or putting back in their ankle, putting back to where it should be or putting traction because their hips completely malaligned yeah that's me but i'm also covering all of the orthopedic patients on the ward so say i get there tonight and i'm given a bleep um, that is going off every time someone wants me from a e or every time someone on the ward wants me because they've got unwell post-op or anything like that so imagine there's a patient with their parents that have come out from their operation and they just want to know about moving from a bed to a bed yeah and the nurse is buzzing me but i've got three people in a e when A&E need all the beds because there's a seven hour wait in A&E. Yeah. And then I got someone that's desaturating and their oxygen's dropping because they're post-op. Yeah. I can't prioritize yeah. moving a bed. So someone's massive gripe like that, yeah. to me at that point, because I am the department, yeah. I just can't prioritize it. And I, I'm very aware yeah. of what's going on on the flip side of that, mm. but it's just out of my control. Yeah. So then I have to just get there and my immediate 
conversation is I'm sorry. Yeah. Before I even get into anything else. Yeah. Already on the back for an apology. That's your part of parcel. That's a yeah. shift, right? And yeah. um, and you get used to that kind of stuff. But that stuff has got worse, definitely, for sure. Um, just down to every department being on the staff. Yeah. Um if you it used to be the case and I don't know if this is a difference in hospitals because like I said I've, I've worked up north in a small hospital now I'm in a big hospital in London or how I think it's difficult to say how much of this is pandemic related and how much of this is difference in hospital setup yeah but I used to be in a situation where if I needed bloods um, medicines giving x-rays etc I literally just used to sit on the computer and just write them all down and I can check in an hour and they'd all be done yeah. Got all my investigations back and that's it. The healthcare starts rolling. Yeah. It's now in a position where every single Thursday is so understaffed that if I don't go to that department as yeah. in front of the radiologist and say, I need this scan now, yeah. it won't get done because it's just on a backlog. So then instead of me going and seeing those two people that are waiting in, I'm going around physically to every different department to make each investigation happen. So my work is so much less medical than it used to be as a junior doctor. It's mm-hmm. just logistics and making stuff happen. Wow. Uh, so yeah, it's tough. Um, you do less medicine than you used to. Yeah. Less admin staff, there's less everything. Yeah. Uh, it's completely changed. Um, and that's part of, I guess, the reason why so many people are then trying to leave, which makes you feel a lot of guilt. Yeah. Especially when we've just spoken about the position that you're in. Yeah. And then to look for an escape route, which I, yeah. I'm completely guilty of. It's literally the reason I'm sat here today is because I've taken that route. Yeah. There's a lot of guilt attached to that because you feel like you're jumping up burning shit yeah no no it is and you're not the first you are jumping shit um and it's like you yeah you, there's a mad guilt about it yeah like you, the, the state has put a lot of money into you training yes um to get into this position to sort of serve everyone else and yeah and you you turned around and left um it feels pretty selfish but it does also get to a point where you have to start putting yourself 100 percent um because as much as health is important, of course it is. Yeah. But you got you can't pull from it. Hundred percent. You got hundred percent at some point, and I was getting crippled. Like yeah. All, and a lot of people are. And I think the number. If I've seen the stats, and I can't remember if I regurgitated the number now, I'd be making it up. But the stats of people, doctors, nurses that want to leave but don't know how, mm. is staggering. It's like it's like yeah. heart. Yeah, it's, it's want to leave, and I was just, I guess, lucky enough to find myself an escape route. Yeah, and get Jordan back instead of just being Doctor Fulton a bit. Yeah, all of my life because it is consuming. It's yeah. really consuming, and you forget to be a person. You get yeah. to be a doctor, um, and I've been clawing back at that. Must be years regaining your identity. Yeah. The low aesthetics has allowed me to do that massively. So how do you go? Just crazy when you've described it like. I think goes without saying how much respect everyone has for doctors and nurses and um, public sector in general, but specifically those providing medical care. Um, if I was working in that environment, that the level of stress is here constantly, right? You're always basically, like you said, you start conversations in combat, basically, and having to um, de-escalate and having to sort of like calm people down. And but you're always the stress level is here. If I was in that kind of environment, I wouldn't have the headspace to think about anything else. And which I often find doctors, nurses, teachers actually as well, um, talking about how like they come home and they're just 
there's no time to do anything else. They're so exhausted from basically um, having to work in that kind of environment. How do you then, how do you then ha conjure up the headspace to think I'm going to start my own business at the same time? How does that happen? Um, so this is the answer to this is twofold. Right. First of all, it's a personality streak. I had a part-time job the whole way through medical free. The whole way through. When you were in Nottingham as well? No. Wow, okay. So through college, I was working in a in retail selling crap. Design it further. Actually, sorry. I mean, I didn't like stuff. Yeah. No. <laughs> I was selling clothes. And, and then through uni, I was a delivery driver for a bit through Amazon Flex. No way. Drearing in, like, revising for exams. I'd go and wow. smash out four hours just delivering parcels. Just wow. Really big and I worked at Nottingham Rugby Club as a waiter. I always just like do an extra a little bit. And then through sort of F1, F2, which is the first two years after med school, um, I still, you, you move through rotations and some are more taxing than others. Yeah. For example, when you're on surgery, you're working loads of nights on weekends and trying to go into theater and then you're about to hand over at 8 p.m. and then someone gets on well, so you post up and you go up and see them and it takes up a lot more time. And then there's others like GP or psychiatry, for example, where it's much more of an I-5 job. Mm. Um, so then I was on one of my geriatric posts when I had a bit more sort of time to think. Mm. Started flirting with the idea of maybe going into aesthetics as a bit of a side hustle. But at this time in my life, I'm A, not very well exposed to the industry. Yeah. And this is aesthetic medicine, yeah, right? Sad. Just because that's kind of a natural side hustle. It's, it's more of an obvious side hustle for a medic yeah. to go into, even though the regulation's terrible at the minute and Steve the plumber from down the road can buy fillers off Google and shove it in your face and not have anyone to answer to at the end of the day, right? <laughs> we'll get into that a bit more later, I think. Yeah. Um, naturally, as a doctor, you're going into aesthetic medicine. It's medicine, yeah. right? It's, and it's not medicine. It's reapplying it to yeah. something that you can make your own yeah more. yeah i flirted with the idea but being up north um i think the stigma that exists around aesthetic medicine anyway um put me off a lot over third lip yeah alienization yes yeah. thing didn't sit right with my morals so i didn't sort of explore it anymore then i moved to london for a plastic surgery job really not a cosmetic plastic surgery it's not like tits and arses it's it's hand that re reconstruction and trauma reconstruction and burns wow burns and reconstructive what? surgery so chelsea is the biggest burns yeah in, yeah. in london it's massive it was horrific the burns like from like house explosions with like wow. 80 percent total body surface area burns and stuff coming through so it's, it's it's very much not cosmetic yeah um but it did cover the craniofacial department okay which is basically that's facts where i was a little bit more exposed and some of the registrars were doing and did you have any experience in like reconstructive medicine or like very very sort of surface level um so we dealt with sort of facial trauma how do you deal with that kind of thing when you again I just, another conversation. this is like <laughs> pure curiosity hours but at my level it very much just sort of um making someone safe and okay. setting them up for surgery you, you, you can't just be that's not yeah. the level of the ladder and you can yeah, yeah. consultants and it's mega specialist right it's even sub-specialists from plastic surgeons to then be a gradient facial surgeon um super complicated but there's things like lipodystrophy which is a, a condition uh where people who've got aids 
in years gone by, some of the um, medications, the antiretroviral medications for AIDS, caused the fat in your face to basically break down. Mm. And it was called AIDS face. Horrible term. Right? Mm. Like it's so like demeaning to have AIDS. But people could recognize who had HIV virus from the medications causing AIDS face. Yeah. So they were using fillers in a medical way to put back the yeah. pads, essentially. So wow. that's something that I was very sort of mildly exposed to. But learning about the anatomy of the face at that point was quite prominent for me. Um, and then, like I said, some of the British trials were sort of, had got their finger in those pies. So I became more aware of people using aesthetic medicine in a much more um, responsible manner yeah. than the media gives it yeah. credit for. Yeah. And then all of a sudden, my ears perked up yeah. because I was like, that's something that I can get on board with. Yeah. All of those things that have put me off going into that extra yeah. uh, effort and setting up my own thing, all of the negatives yeah. have now cut because yeah. I've seen a, a more responsible application of this. Yeah. And I'm pretty sure I can be good at that. With my skill set, with my personality that I've just spoke about, I was yeah. like, this could work for me. And then we went into another lockdown I, was like, I don't know, I can't remember if it was a second or third. Yeah, yeah. But only, elect, only trauma surgeries were going on. All elective surgery was cancelled. So we actually, for a short while, had a lull. Yeah. Where we had less work to do. Yeah. Paradoxically, right? Yeah. Everyone's thinking, oh, the doctors are running around. But in that specialty at that time, we were like, we've got a bit more time now. So I just did a little bit of, bit of research and looked into it. And I was like, you know what? This could be for me. This yeah. absolutely could be for me. And then when I went and did the training, um, completed the training with interface aesthetic. A guy called James Alding, who is a Max Fax registrar. Incredible. I was just like, this guy's incredible. He, he just applies all of those things that I've just mentioned, the responsible manner. Mm. He speaks about the process of aging in such a medical way. And I was like, this isn't, this is not just beauty trends. Mm. This is aging medicine mm -hmm. or anti-aging medicine. And my whole but I was like yeah this 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 is it yeah and I went for it I was still trying to be a surgeon though right yeah so I'm still working straddling work on paper was a 48 hour a week job if this is way more than 48 hours a week because you're trying to do extra operations in your free time you're doing audits in your free time you're writing research in your free time all this extra um academic stuff that you have to do to, to climb the ladder because surgery is super competitive yeah I'm trying to juggle all this I didn't start a business. It was a lot. And I kind of ran myself into the ground yeah. for a period because I already spoke about going into medicine or law because yeah. of the job security. That's one of the biggest perks of that job. Mm -hmm. So then to move into an industry where, well, there's there's no guarantees, right? Yeah. I'm just trying something out. Yeah. I've got no reason really that I, I know this is going to work out for me. It's a massive gamble. Yeah. But at that point, I'd reached a point where I knew surgery was super competitive. I thought I had it in me to do it, but I wanted to be in London. I wanted to do quite competitive specialities, even in surgery. I was like, I might not get that. I've got to be realistic. Mm -hmm. And I'd, got, I'd gone so far down a rabbit hole with surgery that I knew it was surgery or bust. I was never just going to be, not just, I was never yeah. going to be a medical doctor Yeah. because I didn't like just writing medications down. I wanted to be doing things. Yeah. So therefore, I needed another option in case yeah. I didn't get in, all right? Um, and aesthetic medicine was that sort of other option. But then it very slowly is... Yeah, you know. <laughs> that's yeah, that's what often happens. It was only a half plan. It was only a half plan. I was never... 
there was never a firm day where I said, I am getting out of surgery and that is why I'm doing aesthetic. Yeah. That's why there's been a massive overlap, which I'm still in. I'm still I'm still doing both jobs. Yeah. Um, I'm down to one night per fortnight wow. in NHS, which is not a lot. Um, and the rest of the time I'm injecting or mentoring other injectors or teaching. So end of the last lockdown, you launched your uh, aesthetic medicine business. And I think it was, a, I think it was around that time um, when things could open up for you to take on patients or customers, um, you launched Allo Aesthetic. Um, did it just take off straight away? How did you? <laughs> of course not, nothing, nothing just booms like that. Yeah. Um, one of the weirdest things about aesthetic medicine is you, you start off with people that you know, yeah. your patients, which is completely the opposite of normally if you, if you walked in as my patient now, I'd pass you on to another doctor because of that yeah. emotional impact on it that could affect my care. Yeah. But if you're starting a business and you haven't got a portfolio, a social media a yeah. website, which you're not going to have on day one because you physically can't. Yeah. The only people that are going to trust you are people that know you. Yeah, friends and family, right? So everyone starts there. Yeah. Whether that's appropriate or not, or whether that's proper or not. Yeah. In medicine, because it is medicine. Yeah. Um, that's where everyone starts. Yeah. Um, and then you have a lull because you run out of that initial surge of people that trust you anyway. Yeah. And you end up sort of using them for social media content and stuff like that, and you get out of it. But that kind of slows down. And then you just got to keep it going. But then slowly, slowly, it starts building up and then friends become friends of friends. Yeah. And friends becomes friends of friends of friends. Yeah, the recommended row like that organically. And that takes time. For no no one's going to immediately go into aesthetic medicine and be amazing at it. Yeah. It's funny that people think they're going to. But. Yeah, no, I bet. No, I bet, I bet. Especially if they've come from um, a medical background. Question, question for you, um, I guess just probing into yourself because you have such an interesting story is like being like a Northern lad, got into medicine from, you, you described, self-described as like a very working class background, working class area, and you kind of like made it out per se, right? And that's a loose term, but like the story, right? My name is literally on t TRC, Thomas Rockham College. My name's etched on this like wooden <laughs> That's right. Yeah. But like, but still, like you're, a lot of people are proud, right? So, because you, you're you're coming from somewhere where you feel like, right, there's not many people like me that have managed to go on to medical school, become a doctor, and then being a northern lad, you're kind of also hyper aware now of like the culture of aesthetic medicine and what people perceive it to be and the stigma attached to it. At any point, did you did did any self doubt creep in where you're like, ah, oh, like I made it as a doctor and this was my route, and then I'm and then I'm like trying this. Because you always get negative self-talk, right? Sure, for sure. And there was a period where, and I had to stop doing this. I started kept like referring to it as um, glorified, glorified beautician. I'm a glorified beautician. To go from, this is nothing against beauticians, right? But everyone's got a place in society and people, people are sick of that and they love mm. that job. But for me to have gone through five years of med school through F1, through F2, and then I've done two years in surgery and been caught sitting all those exams. So then go and do a one day course, which is what you start with in aesthetic medicine. I was like, wow, I've done all that to get to there. And then in one day I've changed. It's like, am I, is this a waste? Mm. Is it a waste? But I think it's the bravest thing I ever did. 100%. And, and you bring all of that. You, to remove yourself from a set ladder of, gro of growth 
such a miserable path with an mm. obvious end to remove yourself from that into for the unknown that takes some hundred percent it's hundred percent um but yeah you question it a lot um because of that stigma that you've mentioned yeah um a lot of people in the industry at this time are beauticians um and a lot of them are very creative with their hands yeah create fantastic results yeah and they hate the notion that it should only be healthcare professionals yeah. in aesthetic medicine yeah because they are like well just being a doctor doesn't make you any less likely to cause a complication yeah which i think it probably does but i agree that it doesn't yeah. safeguard you from that yeah being a doctor doesn't make you immune from yeah. bad things happening yeah in aesthetic medicine but i think that also what they probably don't appreciate is the the level of ethics the level of consultation, yeah. the level of clinical assessment that we go through to get us into that position before we start learning the anatomy of the face and where to inject it, yeah. which is on all that you learn yeah. on the aesthetic course. Yeah. It's vast, absolutely vast. And But the, the UK at the moment is the only country where it's completely unregulated in aesthetic. That's mad. That's so mental to me. Yeah, it's not to be a healthcare professional. I think I think I could be wrong on this because yeah. I can't remember which countries have which rules. But I think I think in Germany, dentists and nurses can't. I think it's only medics. I could be wrong. Um, I think in the US, it's doctors, dentists, nurses. Yeah. The UK is the only country where it's completely unregulated, and it's coming. That's it's coming. crazy. We're sort of getting information dripped down now that it's coming in the next yeah. years, and there's going to be licensing and yeah. like that. We still don't know whether it's only going to be medics though. Yeah, we don't know who can obtain this license, um, but it's that that causes the the media image that people have yeah. around aesthetic medicine. Um, so yeah, moving from a position that is historically naturally a position of respect, like we've already discussed, yeah. into a position moving into an industry that gets a lot of stick, yeah, is brave transition. Yeah, but actually, do you know what? Way more rewarding. Yeah. Because being a doctor or a surgeon now has become so prescriptive that everyone goes in and says, oh, yeah, I want to be a doctor because I want to make a difference. You don't feel like you make a difference yeah. today because it's 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 the same. You, you're you following um, healthcare pathways. You're just regurgitating the same information. And there aren't many days where you leave and you think if another person was on that shift, everything would have been different. Yeah. Because you all learn the exact same stuff. In aesthetics right now, it's it's really in its immature phase as an industry where it, it, it's quite new compared to medicine as a whole. Yeah. So actually, in an unregulated industry, I actually feel like I make a massive difference because I'm one of the most trained, yeah, most qualified people in the industry. So I've got way more ability to lead by example yeah. and exert the, the safety knowledge and yeah. Safe practices upon other people that haven't maybe some got their sort of anatomical experience, their their um, the handiwork skills that I've got from my surgical experience, and, yeah. and apply them. From the get go, I felt like I could really make a difference in this industry. More than I could. Yeah, it's so it's so interesting you say that. Yeah, I think I think that's what you bring to it. You know how you were describing the seven years of experience study. Um, um, and like upskilling yourself, you haven't left that behind. I think you bring it with you, and that's and I think that's probably the edge. 
I think when you messaged me when we first started discussing this, you were, you said, is being a doctor a USP? Yeah. And now, as people are getting more aware of the dangers of aesthetic medicine and the risks that come with aesthetic medicine, more people are seeking out doctors. And, mm. and because of the push factors from the NHS at the moment, more people are moving into aesthetic medicine as doctors. Mm. So that's not Dentists as well. Dentists yeah. as well. No. But what I do find is a lot of people are coming into the industry because of the push factors, not because of the pull factors. So therefore they're coming in mm. for an easier life. So therefore my mindset of actually, I'm going to apply everything that I've learned about doing surgery the way it should be, or the way I think it should be done. Yeah. Evidence-based, safe practice, yeah. all of those things, instead of being like, this is my route away from yeah. a shit life. Yeah. I think is potentially what makes me stand out a little bit more. Yeah. I think that I, I, I don't, don't cut corners just because I can. Yeah. That's, yeah. Um, I can see that. I always do what I think I ought to do, not what I think I need to do, mm. which is really important in an in industry where no one's quite looking at I think that's probably comes from you having years of training where you felt like people are under your duty of care. And that probably shows in your professional conduct. Um, the other thing that I was going to ask, do you think attitudes have, have changed towards cosmetic medicine and people getting, I say work done, it's not necessarily, it doesn't have to be that. Yeah. It's generational. Yeah. So the generation above us, so my, my sort of parents' age often are quite coy about it. Um, particularly, I've got loads of people who will like pay in cash because they don't want it to come out. Really? So they want their partners to see it? Oh, wow. Um, and yeah, they're, they're way more taboo about it still because it's, it's still quite, I think, alien to their generation. With social media now, everyone's way more honest about this kind of stuff in our generation. Mm. I think it's become normalized. Um, people are talking about it more. People are posting their results on social media because everyone's making contact content out of everything they do. Um, so that the awareness of it, you're hard set now to sit in a room with no one, with a group of people that no one's had an aesthetic procedure at. It's not common. Um, men is becoming way more common for as well. Um, yeah, it's, it's completely just becoming normalized. Like people talk about going and getting their Botox injections, like they're going for a haircut. <laughs> That's bad. It used to be the case. That's crazy. Yeah, that's pretty. It's true though. I have heard. I have heard that. I have heard that. And also, just like the normalization and stigma being removed from, particularly men as well, of having certain procedures done. Um, hair transplants being a big thing. See, people. People think. <laughs> people laugh because I bring that up in any opportunity, in any podcast possible. <laughs> Doctor Jordan Faulkner, as you can see here. <laughs> he's had a hair transplant yeah and i'm uh Ilya, yeah yeah no, it looks, looks great bro. but i was balding i i feel like if i talk about it enough <laughs> on this podcast i'm gonna get one nah it's one of the best things i ever did i'm gonna come back one day with my hairline down to here and be like look at me baby yeah <laughs> people talk about it as aesthetic medicine cosmetic medicine and it's not purely cosmetic yeah this whole idea that Beauty's only skin deep and all, it's nonsense. You, how many times have you got ready for a night out and not looked in the mirror and been like, I'm not looking my best and it affects your night out? Loads of times, right? Yeah. You got a fresh trim and you look in the mirror and you've got some new clothes on. 
you are at it. It changes your day. It changes your whole day and you're out and up, right? And my confidence was lower than a snake's belly. When I was just like not really recognizing the person that I felt inside as looking like that on the trail. Yeah. And that was more than a receding airline. Yeah, yeah. I, I was like running myself into the ground as we, we've yeah, talked yeah. about tired eyes, like not going to the gym. I was skinny and fat. I was pale, I like wrinkles on my head from front. I was literally just like a shell of a man. Yeah. Um, and I felt shit because of it. Yeah. Um, so it's important. It's actually for, it's for yourself. It's a thing. It, yeah, it's actually for yourself as well, right? And the whole, I think men can relate because we always joke about like the, the fresh trim feeling, like the relationship with your barber. And like my, my barber actually says that um, he, what he's selling is actually confidence rather than... Uh, it's the same thing. It's the same thing. I've had people like visibly teary when they see themselves in the mirror because they're so happy that they feel like they can see themselves again. Yeah. Because when you get old, you don't, you don't, when you, when you age and you change, and you still kind of, if you still feel young, yeah. you're, you're giving out a different vibe that you're feeling inside. So if you can change that for someone and make them look how they feel, you've given them a whole new life. Do you know what? That's made me so, that's reminded me. Have you ever had like a, an instance with like your parents or like uncles or people of a, uh, uh, an older, elder generation? And it reminds me of conversations before where like, you take a picture and they'd be like, oh, I look so old. And like that comment, and you're just like, what? This is how you've looked to me all the time. The thing that's doing viral on TikTok at the minute where there's a filter and you, it can make you look like you were a teenager. Yeah, yeah, and like, yeah, because it reminds, yeah, 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 because it's, it's, and it's something that everyone's going to go through, and it's something that everyone, all, all we are going through, right? You're as old as you feel, right? Yeah. You feel young, but you look old. Yeah. And the way that people respond to you is not how you expect it, and that there's a mismatch that people dif find difficult. Yeah, and it, that's why it's such a big industry, the whole anti-aging, like, um, or cosmetic and aesthetic medicine being part of it, um, because you can't deny how people feel because of the their outer appearance and the way they look and actually a lot of the time because obviously it can be conflated with society standards and beauty standards but actually there's a part of it that is about how people feel about themselves um more than you would realize oh i i can i can i can relate to that um completely um questions on the business though how have you found I feel like you're a, you're mental anyway because in, in being a doctor and you're you're used to just working at capacity. But how have you found managing your own business and still kind of working? Um, I have way more time actually. Serves in depth, please. Yeah. Um, <laughs> the I'm in a position now where um, I've I've put a lot of I did the hard yards while I was still doing the full time job. Mm. So I had a horrible year where I was trying to do both and trying to grow both. But then once I've peeled back from the surgery side of things, I'm still allowing the business side of things to grow, but it's economically enough to be sustaining my life. Mm. Things that I, I'm, sometimes I'm, I want more to do, mm. but I'm, I'm having to allow it to grow organically as it is doing yeah. at a pace that I couldn't have even imagined. Yeah. Um, but I'm used to having no seconds in it. And now I've got like a few out. It's weird, isn't it? You're, you're twitching for more work. It's, it's, it's weird. It's scary. Do you know what's a mad thing, right? Yeah. Um, I used to think that I'd like got ADHD. 
Bro, we all think we've got ADHD. Do you know what's mad? Like, there's loads of people. So my brother and my cousin, two, like two of the closest people in my life, both got diagnosed really late. And now I know I haven't because it's never. So one of the key things in diagnosing ADHD is that it's problematic for you. Right? Yeah. Okay. So all of those like hyperactive traits for me get manifested in being more productive. You could be a workaholic. It's, but this is learned behavior. Mm. I've never, I can't watch a film. Because I, I, I'll, I've watched a one-hour episode in three chunks before because my brain's just not focused on something. Yeah. And there's, this is something that you, any medic will relate to this. I never read books because there's a weird underlying guilt yeah. that what you're reading is not medical. It's like you're wasting wow. time. Wow. So then having free time is weird because you can't physically switch off. Because yeah. you always know there's more to be learning. So the guilt overpowers any enjoyment in relaxation. That's crazy. So it's, it's yeah. like, obviously I don't have ADHD. Yeah. I just don't have the ability to switch off. Mm. And I'm learning it. I'm getting way better at it. I still, I'm quite like an agitated guy. Yeah. I don't sit and watch TV because I get distracted. I'll pick my phone up. I'll start answering emails. Yeah. It's just something that's going to take a long time to shake if, it, if I ever shake it. Or whether that's just become part of my personality now. Um... But yeah, I, I am doing less, but I f I'm getting a lot more out of life. That's good. That's good to hear. Back in the gym, I'm eating well, I'm doing, but all these things feel like luxuries. Yeah. And things that people can't be asked to do at the end of the day. Yeah. I'm like, yeah. get to go to the gym. That's such a good, that. yeah. That's such a good attitude to have. Make sure you try and cultivate that. Cause I've, 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 I remember a period whenever I feel my best is like switching things to, I think I, I heard it somewhere, I tried to live by it, is like, oh, I have to do this too. Oh wait, I get to do this. Get to do and it changes everything. And that's something that I, I've not sort of read like a self-help book that's like made me think like that. It's just because I truly just didn't have the opportunity. You lived it, like you lived that, yeah. Night shift. I'm going to Greg's and getting a steak bake and I'm having three hours sleep and scratching my head. Like, yeah. So now when I wake up and like eat healthy food and go to the gym before I even start work, I'm like, this is such a luxury. Yeah. That I can't even like explain to people. Yeah, that's amazing. Maintain that gratitude because it will keep you going forwards. I've definitely experienced it myself, man. It's, it's, yeah, it's good to, it's good to hear. It's really good to hear. And I'm glad you're experiencing that now. Um, tell me a bit more about Aloe Aesthetic. What's, what's behind this? Is there a story behind the name? Yeah. <laughs> I didn't think about it too much. I actually had um, an A to, Z, A to Z book of plastics that before I moved into my plastics job, I had no plastics experience. So I was like, I didn't really know where to start learning. And I, I saw it on like Amazon. So I just bought it and just started like reading the terminology, like the different names and stuff. And so I just opened it at A and allograft is a thing where oh, nice. you, it's basically, it's a, a skin, you put it on burns um, and it's someone else's skin. Oh, wow. Can have it. So it's to give someone something. Wow. Okay. Well. So the, the allo prefix is Latin to give someone something. The whole, so like we said, giving someone their confidence back to give someone something was where it came from. It was really loose. No, so that's wicked, tenuous, man. That's a bit tenuous, but I just took that. I was like, it sounds bunchy. That's not tenuous. That's a wicked story. And I was like, Let, let's go with that. Uh, I like that a lot. Now I wrote the name even more now. Looks, my um, accountant, I think, still thinks that I'm in Scotland. Is it Aloha Aesthetics? And then uh, some of the old people are like, Aloha, Aloha. <laughs> it's guys' negatives, but I think it works. Yeah, no, I like it, man. I like that. I like that story. Like that. Um, and you have, how many clinics have you got uh, in operation at the moment? So I personally, two. Um, so I run um, in Ballon, 
in Southwest um, a few days a week. I also run a clinic up north um, in South Yorkshire. That's much less infrequent. Sorry, much less frequent. And um, I just go up there to see friends and family and do a clinic. It's, that's quite informal. Yeah. Um, but I've sort of branched out the brand more recently and I'm mentoring other injectors. Oh, nice. Um, so we've got one injector who's covering um, West Hampstead. And then I'm mentoring other injectors, one who is in Oval and one who is in Battersea. Um, they're a bit less from facing with the brand. Mm. Um, but yeah, it's slowly sort of we're covering a little bit more turf. Did have an injector who was in Nottingham, um, but she's got a full time job in a clinic working with someone else now, so she's had to had to drop it, which I'm gutted about because she was my firstborn. Uh, she was the first person I started mentoring. But yeah, we're sort of we're covering a few cities now as a brand, um, which is good. Um, the name is obviously becoming more commonplace, and as followers are growing, I don't know how far that's going to go. Again, it's just kind of taking its natural path. Yeah. Um, as people are sort of coming to me for help, um, that's basically how it's going. People, people need mentorship. Yeah. Because in the hospital, you're um, always used to having someone on the phone to, to to help you when you become unstuck. Yeah. Like I said, at night, I'm, I'm I am the orthopedic department, but there is a registrar who's at home asleep. Yeah. If I want to wake them up, I need to wake them up, right? There's yeah. Someone. Yeah. And and if they're stuck, there's a consultant. Yeah. And if consultant's stuck, all the other consultants. Yeah. So there's always someone. And when you move into aesthetics, if you don't get employed by someone else, which is now impossible at first because you don't have any experience, why would someone employ you? Mm -hmm. Then you're on your own. Yeah. And so I tried to create this sort of middle ground that allows people to work for themselves, but not by themselves. Yeah. Um, and that's where what when the network comes in. So we've yeah. got each other to 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 rely upon. Um, if we come unstuck, if we've got an unusual case, if we don't quite know the answer to something, if we have a complication, then we've got a team-based approach to managing it, and it's safety in numbers, right? Mm. Um, so it, it's 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 improving the safety of new rejectors, mm. which is new. That's wicked. So you can already see the application of like your previous experience in in the NHS. Applying constructs like yeah. having a multidisciplinary team approach at all times in the hospital and just reapplying that to improve safety and aesthetic medicine. I think that would already take, I think that's already given massive strides to the industry, but just in the small circle yeah. that it's affecting. Yeah. And it, that, that's a network of injectors that are all already safe yeah. for injectors. And what's the demographic of people that come to... Um, we just touched on it already. It's, it's quite varied. It's more varied than you think. In Ballum, just by nature of it being that sort of southwest area where it's people our age, um, it, it's, it is it is thirty ish, either a bit younger or a bit older. Um, but I think the oldest patients I've had are sort of mid sixties, and I don't think, well, I don't know what the youngest patient I've had is, but maybe sort of twenty one, twenty two. Usually, that's the more sort of aesthetic trends that we've spoken about which is not really my niche mm. do do it sometimes but it's not my bag to be honest do much more of the restorative medicine so it's sort of our age and above oh nice but I, the, the people from all different walks of life i've even had famous drag queens famous actresses come to clinic which every time that i recognize a name before they even yeah yeah that's good <laughs> i was gonna say about like gender splits like is, is it like um, that's cool. what's the what's the what's the demographic or on um, genders that that you that tend to come. What the, it, it... Obviously, it's, it's mainly female predominant. We spoke about more men, um, and uh, sexual dimorphism. So it's typically male 
or typically female or masculine versus feminine yeah. features are there's much less black and white with that now in terms of this is male. Yeah, yeah, but and, and that's becoming really prominent in yeah. media. Yeah, um, and there's more genders. People yeah. are not appropriating them. Sectioning themselves off as yeah. one gender, so now that means that you have to actually ask someone. If someone could, if you've got a male that comes in, or someone that was born as a male that comes in, and they say they want a jaw in hand for them, I can't just assume that they want a typically more masculine jaw. Yeah, it's true. You've got a deep dive into that, and again, this is where it comes into actually just knowing about all. Yeah, and the consultation. Yeah, that not making assumptions, going deep yeah. into the psychology behind the reason that they're there. Yeah, is actually quite interesting. Yeah, that's really interesting. And that's a, that's an area that is changing rapidly. Rapidly. Yeah, that's wicked. So if I if I came in, do you ever get people come into your clinics and it's like, I don't know what I want, but tell, tell me what you got. And should I tell you why I hate it? Yeah. Because there's always something to do. Yeah. But what I have to sort of separate is what I'm seeing between what they're seeing. Yeah. Because if they haven't got a gripe with something, yeah. And I bring it to their... Oh, because then you could be offending them. Then I might just give them a complex about something that's never bothered them. Yeah. And that's the opposite, right? Cause harm. Yeah. Which is the first thing you learn as you walk through the doors and most people do no harm. Yeah. Right? Yeah. So you've got to be really careful about the way that you get it out of them, what's bothering them. Yeah. And there are situations where people come in with what they think is the problem. Yeah. Actually, that's not the problem. It's 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 indirect. For example, if you've got the saggy areas of the lower face, actually you've lost loads of the support from the upper face. Now, if I talk to someone through that, I have to be really careful that they don't think I'm mis-selling them or yeah. selling them. Mm. Because it's not a marketing technique. I'm just telling you that the problem is not where you think it is. Mm. It's going to cost you more because I've got to treat two areas. But that's a real delicate conversation to make sure that they don't think it's a sales pitch. Yeah. So therefore, you have to actually deep dive into biology of aging more than maybe you would if it was a normal medical condition. Because... Normally, you're trying to down talk the science yeah. to, in the hospital to make it lame and speak. Yeah. Actually, when you're in a non-medical, so I say non-medical, even though I keep saying that it is medicine, you're out of a hospital environment. Actually, you have to then distract from the fact that this, there's an economic transaction at the end of this conversation. Yeah. And therefore, you're qualifying everything that you're saying with loads of detail. Yeah. People really appreciate that. Yeah. People really, really appreciate if you talk them through exactly why you're doing everything. Because um, it's their face at the end of the day. Yeah. And they weren't there. Yeah, it's <laughs> true. They've got to trust you and be on board with what you're doing. It's true. I can barely, like, so I can barely, like, leave if I've had a dead trim. <laughs> so, yeah. What's what's the most popular treatment that, that you see? Answering injection. Okay. People say both. Both of the brand, but not really supposed to say it. Yeah. Um, because of certain advertising, yeah, yeah, but everyone just lame and speak. It's it's botox. It's, it's toxin injections. Okay, um, are endemic. Yeah, to be honest. Um, and then filler treatments, and then there's there's newer things like skin boosters, um, which are sort of newer to the market, but people are becoming massively more aware of them. Yeah. Um, there's also lasers and skin peels and stuff that I haven't sort of gone down that route yet, just because some surgical body backgrounds I like doing. The hands-on thing, yeah. hands-on things. I like doing the procedural things, just personally. Whether I'll ever expand to that probably depends on whether I invest in bricks and mortar. At the moment, I like the way that I'm quite mobile. Yeah. And bricks and mortar would be quite tying. Yeah. I'm not sure whether I want to make that jump ever, maybe. I know a lot of detectors that never 
physically buy a clinic, rent spaces from different areas, and then you can cover yeah. more postcodes, basically, which yeah, yeah. clients, right? Um, so I'm not sure where that's going to go. If the mentorship side of things flies, then that's probably makes it more likely that I won't just tie myself to one, one location, but I'm just allowing things to, to, to happen as they do and, and taking each day as it comes. That's wicked. So what next for Jordan and Allo Aesthetic? Um, exactly that. Exactly that. Taking each day as it comes. Um, what next for Jordan and what next for Allo Aesthetics are separate. Um, what's next for Jordan is really prioritizing those things that I've got back in my life that I lost for a while. Love that. And, and not letting go of that. Um, but what's next for Allo Aesthetics? Allowing it to grow organically. There's loads more opportunities coming up from it. For example, I've sat on a podcast, which is just alien to me. I've been doing work with skincare brands. The software brand that I use have asked me to film sort of some, some work for them. So yeah. Allo Aesthetics, Jordan and Dr. Jordan Volner are all three separate entities at the moment, but they're all growing together, which is class. Um, Allo Aesthetics, like I say, it's just, it's just friend referrals now, so that's organically growing. And then I think that it will continue to grow in a, in a mentorship capacity, yeah. um, even if that becomes subgroups. But I'm really keen not to let that grow too far, that it steals away from me all the things that I feel like I've got back more recently. I love that. I love to hear that, actually. That's probably what I needed to hear as well. I could appreciate that um, a lot more. If there was anything that you could do differently in the last five years, business or otherwise, what would you do? <laughs> not do medicine. <laughs> uh, do you know what's difficult yeah i think whenever you think in the short term a decision has worked out bad i always seem to think a year later that it happened to the best 100 percent. so i don't have a direct answer to that actually i think every single step that i've taken even if it hasn't worked out whether that be deciding I'm only going to be a surgeon and then yeah. not becoming a surgeon. Yeah. Or th there's been multiple sort of small side steps where I've been like, I'm not progressing here. The situation that I found difficult has always then forced me to make a change that has brought out a more positive end outcome. So I can't honestly look back and say that there's one specific moment where I would change what I did because I'm really happy with where it made me end up. Wicked answer. You were, yeah, yeah, I like that, I like that. Well, fine. To close, there's something that we like to ask uh, all of our guests is um, whether you have any loose change that you wanna share with our audience. It could be anything, any any last moments of wisdom, something silly. Um, moments of wisdom. Or in, is this where I give someone like a corny of life? life like, <laughs> it could be that, it's good with, it's go with. Uh, it even made me want to do like a corny American accent. Don't get too caught up trying to build a career or a business and then forget to make a person or a life. I love that. Love that. that, one. that. Yeah, I love that. I love that one. <laughs> um, and also, what about for Dr. Jordan Fortner, Aloha says it, where can people find you? Um, Social, Africa's social media, isn't it? Um, at Dr. Jordan Faulkner, at Allesthetics. We'll, we'll, we'll link all of the stuff as well. www.allesthetics.com. Love that. Preserves.
Yeah, no, I love that. There's loads of stuff on there. And yeah, like I say, I've got more time than I'm used to. Yeah. If anyone's got any questions, like, I'm so excited. Yeah, no, that's wicked. No, and, and we'll link all of that. We'll make sure that people reach out to you. And I'm loving to see you do your own thing and, and build your own life as well outside of outside of the career. Yeah, wicked to have you, bro. Thank you. Cut. How long was that? Uh,